Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly call sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I now start off every episode with a new question. Do you think, asked Colin from Cambridge, in hindsight, the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series should have told us something was deeply wrong with the world? So I've thought about this a lot, actually. I, I remember that night, my my friend and I was out. I was living in L.A. My buddy from uh, like high school, we we watched the game together, and we're in the middle of all that ecstasy uh, as as the Cubs put it away on that rainy night. They go to the post game desk, and you got the whole like Hillary for prison banner in the background, <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah, like reality is like hovering right there at the edge. And when like Trump won that election and then like just the ensuing years sort of felt like we were sliding deeper into chaos world. I did often flash back to that night where it was like one of like both one of like the last normal lot nights is, is sort of how it felt. But also the Cubs won a World Series and it did sort of feel like a devil's pact had been struck where it was like the curse would be broken and then a curse would blight the land. A generational trauma was forgiven in exchange for a new one. Yeah. I have a Cubs World Series story, which is... Hello, Jason Kebler from Motherboard. Yeah. Hello. Thank you. A baseball super fan over here. Um, I have a friend who is from Chicago, huge Cubs fan, and she was getting married uh, like the weekend after the election in Chicago. And so I went to Chicago for her wedding... And her father's one and only request was that the live band play Go Cubs Go and that she be allowed to be the lead singer of this song that during the reception. That is a power move. That is the kind of dad at a wedding. Respect, like I can respect that. I'm going to pocket that one. I don't know if I'm going to do that exactly, but I, I like that as an idea of a power move from a, as a parental figure. Yeah, he had extreme dad at wedding energy. Like he was grabbing the mic like every three songs or so <laughs> and being like, I paid for this wedding. I'm going to sing the songs oh, yeah. I want. But it was so weird because uh, everyone was very sad about Trump winning at this wedding, but very happy that the Cubs won the World Series <laughs> and also like ancillarily interested in the fact that there was like a wedding occurring, but it was mostly about the Cubs and Trump. It was mostly like an incidental event that brought a bunch of people together after two major life events had happened. And like, well, frankly, that's kind of what weddings are for is it's a it's a big enough moment in someone's life to force a bunch of people to get together. Uh, and it just not it does not usually necessarily uh, occur around such positives and negatives <laughs> in the way that that one did. Yeah. Very, very memorable. Anyways, that's my Cubs world series story. That's, that's good. I, my, the, the best story I have from that era, um, other than probably the most conservative. And I don't mean that in like a red blue capacity, just 
a neighbor next to me who is just just very kind of straight laced, doesn't say a lot to you, very nice and very friendly and helpful when uh, things have come up around the house or yada, yada, yada. Um, the one thing that breaks him out of this emotional state is the Cubs. And he is a l- lifetime die hard like so this win this you know getting the world series was like a, a personal emotional high and i remember i was at home watching the last game and every time the cubs would win during that at least that 2016 season uh that he would put up he's got his cubs cubs w you know like flag it would go in the front of his house like he'd stake it out there during during everyone and after that game uh after they won that final game and and, and won the world series i heard a scream a guttural one. And I was like, how could I even hear a scream from a neighbor's house unless they were truly in danger? Well, he wasn't in danger, but he had left his house and began running up and down the street as though he was Will Ferrell in old school. And I have never since seen that level of emotion from this person because they seem genuinely incapable of it. And yet I think it goes to show like the power and emotional spirit of sports that it can drag someone like that to a state like that. And then they just immediately revert back into uh, their shell. Tendentally is uh, we, we just had our, uh, our, our oldest uh, daughter right around when this was happening. She was born in late August. So the, you know, this is all happening in October and we're like, well, we should go watch at least one of the two games, like, you know, out at a bar. And so we'd go to this place that was like comfortable enough to bring, bring a newborn to and had a little uh, spot to sit and I think it was game three or four. I don't, I don't know where it was in, in the order of things. But all I know is that I had just ordered a beer and uh, the like server came up to see if like anyone else needed anything else. And I looked around and the newborn was asleep and my wife was asleep. And it was like the fourth inning. And I said, I'll just take the check and finish this beer as fast as possible. If two of the women that I'm here are with <laughs> are sleeping, maybe I should go watch the game at home. <laughs> Ah, but we have you here, uh, Jason, because uh, opening day uh, just occurred uh, last week uh, in the MLB. It comes with a season that has some pretty substantial, uh, would it be wrong to say it's the most substantial rule changes to the sport in a long time between the uh, changes to the defensive shift, the introduction of the pitch clock, and obviously those big, those big puffy pillows that are, the they're calling bases. the bases. Um, <laughs> I, I know this has been like when we asked people for questions, a lot of what came in was questions uh, about some of the rule changes. Can you like for Rob and I, we like to drink beer and watch baseball and claim that we're as experts, unless you're going to be in the first inning of a baseball game that you're streaming and you're suddenly going to be down seven zero to Patrick Klepek, who only did the tutorial that morning. Then I think the whole <laughs> notion of expert maybe gets called into question. But all that aside, these big sweeping changes coming to baseball, are they actually big sweeping changes? Like, are they being overstated? So over the weekend, a few of my friends who do not watch any baseball whatsoever, nor are they interested in sports at all, had heard about the rule changes. I think they just like saw the title of various podcasts that was like big rule changes coming to baseball. And they were like, what is going on? Like, you know, are there are they adding a fifth base? Like what's happening? (laughs) And what I told them was basically like, these are kind of psyop rule changes for the casual fan. Uh, all of it is designed to make the game more exciting and more like faster paced because 
the big complaint for years is just like baseball so boring the games take so long there's no action there's so many strikeouts but the rule changes that have been introduced are designed to fix those problems while not seeming like that big of a change and as you mentioned like the, the biggest one is the pitch clock which means that in between each pitch the pitcher will have 15 seconds to throw the ball more or less it, they, they tweak the pitch clock depending on whether there's people on base or not there's like a little bit more time if people are on base uh, the pitchers are only allowed to throw over to first base I believe once per at bat or maybe twice per at bat they call it disengagements from the mound where they hmm. sort of step off and try to oh, wait, so off. after that a guy could just take a monster like lead after that the pitcher can step off and throw but no a- after two dis after one disengagement they have to deliver the ball home i believe or pick the person off but if they try to pick them off and they are safe it's like a balk and they get the second base anyway uh, a ball and patrick and i just encountered <laughs> that rule many, we, yeah we got many blocks called on us and i have to i have to admit every time it happened it was not we were not intentionally playing with the rules it was just we hit the button late i think and then all of a sudden it got counted well, i was late coming back from the pause screen and i would like try to throw the ball and it was like nope that was a ball you know the show has gotten really, really in the weeds when you're able to to do box. It's like you can, in, it's a flag. Previous- so you can turn them on and off. Like so, at least they understand that. Because I think what, I think what's exactly what was happening. We were playing was is what Rob said was that we were coming to the pitch. We lane. were advised not to do it. Chat yes. was like, uh, "That's kind of a fussy thing to introduce," and it doesn't. And I will say, it didn't play nicely with the way the the show like cuts the dead time between pitches, mm-hmm. and so like. The bulk, like the bulk seems to be a thing that is contextual. And if you just like cut to the part where it's like, okay, the pitcher's supposed to deliver the pitch now, real easy, just like fall backwards into a bulk, whereas like it is not easy in life. Yeah. The bulk, <laughs> this is earlier in the, in the podcast than I expected to be talking about box, but basically Welcome for anyone weeds. who this doesn't all know, we do yeah. Here. It's uh, it's when the pitcher essentially like fucks up in a way that uh, confuses the hitter or the runner. It's like if the pitcher falls off of the mound, that is considered a balk. But there's a, a, many number of ways that you can do it. Um, and if this happens, the, the runner gets the next base for free. And the balk used to be like very rare. Like it would happen in high school because people wouldn't know what they're doing. And maybe once... Like once a year per team, you'd see a balk. But during spring training, there were like multiple balks per game. It's like the the umpires were directed by Major League Baseball to be like giant hard asses about all of the new rule changes. And one of the side effects so far has been there's been a lot of balks. So it's but cool it, it, that. Is that like maybe a natural result of changing like the momentum, the pace of the game that you're going to have pitchers under the stress of the pitch clock, potentially going through motions differently. Because as we know, I don't think there is a sport with more habitual weirdos than baseball and suddenly throwing for a loop, like, and pitchers especially, right? Like probably no weirder like position uh, that, that that invites those sorts of characters and, or as MLB, the show calls them quirks. Um, <laughs> uh, like in one of the signifiers that has under stats for characters, but I guess it doesn't totally shock me that you'd have pitchers suddenly balking a lot just because you're throwing off something they've had ingrained in them in terms of timing since I don't know, 
grade school. Right. So, so that's one of the reasons that baseball got so slow is because baseball is full of weirdos uh, who have their <laughs> rituals in between each pitch. And so you'd have both batters and pitchers who would have their thing. Like Nomar Garcia Parra, who was a shortstop for the Red Sox for a very long time, was called like the human rain delay because in between <laughs> each pitch, he took he took his batting gloves and he like yep. undid the Velcro. He redid the Velcro. <laughs> he stepped out. He stepped back in. And it's like the pitcher couldn't throw the pitch until he had done this. And so that's how you end up. That is between with, every like, pitch, like every single time. Remember, every yeah. single time. And then you also have pitchers who will like catch the ball when the catcher throws it back to them, walk around the mound, do a little dance, like step off, play these mind games. And so... Uh, the biggest thing, the biggest rule change is this pitch clock. And in doing so, it, people have asked me, like, what's going to be different about baseball? The biggest thing is kind of what you said, Rob, uh, where they're just trying to cut out the dead time between pitches. And so far, like, we're only a week into the season, but uh, they had a pitch clock in the minor leagues last year, and they also had in spring training this year. It's like... It's cutting off like 30 minutes from the average game. And that's 30 minutes of people like undoing their glove, putting their glove back on, spitting, like picking up the little chalk bag that's on the pitcher's mound to just, you know, but what I don't about know, the people standing the in line at the ballpark for the long line to get a beer or a plant-based hot dog is maybe I was doing on opening day at Wrigley Field with some friends. And and you miss st- like I, half the half I, thing. So I... I didn't pay for the tickets, uh, and so I offered to go sacrifice myself in line once we got to our seats. And, like, I'm going to get drinks for people. I'm going to get food for people. Like, text me what you want, and I'll go stand in two long lines, and someone will come out to grab the first. Because, you know, it's like, you know, drink minimum, or maximum, rather. Uh, It's like, I'll go do all that because I'm just thankful to, to be here. Well, by the time I was working my way through, like, the second line, I happened to just glance up. I'd not been paying super close attention because in a baseball game, that's frankly, part of the joy is that I don't need to be paying attention to every little uh, moment, especially when I'm there kind of taking in the basking in the stadium, like in-person experience. It was about to be like the fourth inning, like, and I'd been gone for 40 minutes, which usually would be like, it's, I was telling Rob this, we were, we mentioned this at the end of our, our regular podcast yesterday while we were kind of teeing this one up is that, you know, I think it's worse for the in-person experience. I think if you go choose to go to a baseball game, Broadly speaking, you are choosing to go to something that you are going to luxuriate in like it's a beer soaked hot tub. I expect to be here for a very long time and I sort of only want to pay attention. It would be easier to watch this at home, which is true of a lot of sports. But like it was weird. I was there for two hours and 20 minutes. Like, yeah. This is exactly, uh, exactly my take where it's, it's like better when I go to a home, baseball game. Better to watch, yeah. worse in person. Yeah, I mean. I don't know how you feel, Rob. I'm sure we will hear, but that's exactly how I feel. I wish there was a toggle. It's like I'm at the game. <laughs> do the do the slow version so that I can, you know, well, like talk to my friends, drink a bunch of beers, pee 45 this, times. Like, so I have never made it to the start of the game at, D- at Dodger Stadium on time. Like getting up that fucking hill it's impossible. to the game, like transit doesn't run out there. Traffic backs up all the way down the hill, uh, like out onto all the all the approach streets. Most of the time, if I even want to make it up there by the third inning, 
I'm like bailing out of the cab or whatever uh, at the foot of the hill and beginning like a hustle up the hill up there. And so when you say like, okay, the game's gonna be over in like two and a half hours or less. Well, to get to a Dodgers game, just getting out there is like a two hour like round trip investment. So it means to change like if I'm going to go through that hell, what I want is three hours or more of <laughs> being in one of the most beautiful spots in L.A. and just like letting the day pass me by. I'm buying the mental break. I'm buying time in that space to just like be head empty, you know, and and just sort of follow the game. Head empty, drunk beer full. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, beer like full. When, during Especially because the, the they stop selling beers after seven and a half innings. Which it's is, like, that's when you order like a double or a triple beer. Right. Where Jason, it's like, we, oh, had yeah. to cancel, we had to cancel our last beer order. Like we were in a Terrible. section where you could order them. There was a mobile order bit, um, but it was it was actually faster for me to go. So I was like, we'll order some from the mobile thing and I'll also go stand in line and then we'll double stack the beers and we'll be good to go past the seventh inning. Well, they got just a little bit backed up on the mobile ordering. The game moved so fast that... We ended up either we canceled or they canceled the order because it just wasn't going to be delivered before the game was over. I hate that. (laughs) Let me ask you this, though. Was it the game length that like it was like the game's too slow? I think the game was just too fucking boring because the problem is like three and a half hour, even if the pace of play is slow, baseball is a game. And this is why it is probably the most successful like sport to translate into movies. It is a game just like built of dramatic moments and dramatic scenarios like the you know every like there's so many opportunities for character interactions effectively uh, between the pitcher and the batter and but the issue was because and this was this is on the heels all these changes are on the heels of another change they made last year and I forget what the specifics are they cut the bullpen size you're allowed to have uh and so the issue to me I think like there were two things that kind of got swept together was the game is too boring and it must be because the game is too long. And for me, it was never that for me. It was every time something interesting was threatening to happen. It was all right. Well, he's going to the bullpen a call out pitcher for one strikeout. And then the next guy would come up and there's still like two guys on base. And it's like another guy pulls out, comes out of the dugout, another strikeout inning over those two guys stranded. And it was hard to get them there. Like getting guys on base was hard. Getting to advanced bases was hard. And so baseball had this uh, this problem. I don't think was a pace of play issue unless pace of play was allowing pitchers to be better significantly. But for me, the big issue was like balls did not get in play. You get that, that idea of the true outcomes. Uh, and baseball was becoming a true outcomes game. And it turns out that's not fun baseball to watch. And I think it was really highlighted like uh jason you and i I think watched a little bit uh you watched a lot i watched a little bit toward the tail end of the world baseball classic and there you had much more variance in terms of skill levels across a ton of positions but one of them was pitchers and one it's more fun watching good hitters go up against pitchers who are like good but not great because now you can really see what a good pitcher can do and the damage they can inflict but two if there's just a lot of a lot more balls that are being like pitched to contact and just a lot more balls being put in play, you get more of those scenarios of like, you know, guy on first and third, like the, the tactics of baseball that had to me started to feel irrelevant in the past, like several seasons uh, where it was like it was all feast or famine. 
Yeah, so you are absolutely right. The The biggest problem with baseball, the reason that it's been so boring, is this fundamental thing that happened, I would say, maybe like eight or ten years ago, where uh, basically pitchers started outpacing hitters to a ridiculous degree. It's like the average pitcher in Major League Baseball started getting way better than the average hitter in Major League Baseball. And the reason that this happened was basically like the analytics revolution where not only did you have fielders standing all over the field where the a computer simulation had determined that a player was most likely to hit the ball based on millions of, you know, they've run the simulation millions of times and they're like, okay, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is most likely to hit the ball to this specific part of the field. So we're going to play our, our fielders there, which resulted in much, many fewer base hits. It's like when the ball was hit, it was much more likely to be caught because the fielders were in the correct position based on the scientific analysis. But then on top of that, there is this, uh, there's this performance institute called driveline, which is basically like, <laughs> during the off season when you want to go upgrade yourself, like if you're a creative player and you want to add like 10 points to your control and stamina and power and all this sort of thing, you go to this, uh, this facility, which I believe is in Washington state. I'm, I'm pretty sure um, where they just use like a million sensors. They film you as you pitch, they teach you new pitches and they're like, you are not utilizing your body to the correct the scientifically perfect um, like way that yeah. you could be. And so they'll tweak your mechanics. They'll tweak how you throw. And people would come out of this, like major league players, like 32-year-old men who had been playing baseball their entire life, and they would be throwing four or five miles an hour faster. And they would be throwing, they would try to alter like the spin rate of the baseball to make it move more. Um, and they would do this with the help of science, like more or less. Uh, this is one like of the big advanced right? The minute they mechanics. isolated spin rate as a variable you could control using like high speed cameras and connecting that to your mechanics. Like, cause that, this was the other thing, right? It was like for a long time, I think we, and I think we still do talk about like, uh, oh, he's got a, you know, 102 mile hour fastball. Is that that's like the decisive thing. But my understanding is like the science of pitching has put spin rate above just pure like arm strength and speed at this point, like spin rate is like more core is better correlated to successful pitches than just sheer. Right. Velocity. And there, there's new analytics called like stuff. Plus there's all of these new analytics where it's like, it's he's throwing 102 miles an hour, but it also has ride to it, which means that it's not a straight 102 mile an hour pitch. It's like, you know, moving like 18 inches horizontally or vertically. And, at that point, it's like it is so hard to hit a baseball anyway, and you have these players who are going and improving, and the hitting has not caught up yet. Like Driveline does hitting analytics as well, but they have not. We have not been able to teach the average major league baseball player to hit this stuff regularly, and so you take that, and then you also take what you were saying, Rob, where you have. You know, the average major league fastball is now something like 95, 96 miles an hour. Like 10 years ago, it was probably like 91, 92. People are throwing like nastier breaking pitches. And you have every, like the Orioles don't have a particularly good bullpen. 
they have like four guys I can think of who throw like 98 to 100 right. miles an hour. And it's like, th- you would be lucky if there were two or three people in the entire league who were throwing 100 miles an hour, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so it's exactly what you were saying. It's like, oh, there's people on base. We're going to take our starting pitcher out. We're going to put in one of these nasty relievers. He's going to strike out two people in a row. Then we're going to replace him with someone else. And you're going to have these games that are like six bullpen pitchers just striking people out. And no one's going to get any hits. And the game is going to be two to one. Unless they get a home run. It's going to take four right? hours. It became, became, became <laughs> either like a strike or a home run sort of league. And yeah, that, exactly. Like just people weren't going to. Yeah. Um, well, and, just, and, and home runs aren't an interesting like people like home runs who love home run chases, but they're not actually that interesting an outcome, uh, especially from the standpoint of like a single run out of context. It's like, whoa, that was a big home run uh, game is now three to one. And there's no you know, what I mean, like the game yeah, gets more it's, interesting it's, the minute you get like the the tying run is on base. Oh, the winning run is now on base. Like everything becomes more loaded once you get those scenarios going. But they had just dried up completely in the game. And this is like, I don't know. This is the one thing where, well, actually I'm curious. Is the pitch clock going to help with, like I was sort of spitballing with, with Cotto on the, on the main show the other day, but like my, my one theory I had certainly was that there is both a mental and physical strain that comes with throwing pitches, like that concept of command uh, of like being able to execute the pitch you want to throw and place it where you want to place it. And I was sort of assumed that just having more time on the, on the mound to sort of collect yourself, like get that summon those, that, that energy would make it easier to deliver your, your good stuff again and again and again. Whereas like, if you get, if you're on a pitch clock, maybe you you're sitting there and you're like, I don't have my good stuff right now. Like I'll have to wait to the next batter. And now I need to start going off speed. These are, you know, the best athletes in the world in who decide to play baseball. <laughs> There's other probably better athletes than the average baseball player in the NBA or NFL or many other sports. But these are, you know, the best conditioned people to play baseball. And even the, even so, they are not able to throw max effort every single pitch with a pitch clock. Like that is one of the biggest hopes is that because these pitchers were taking so long in between pitches, their arm was basically able to recharge in between every pitch. It's like, I'm just going to take a walk. I'm going to catch my breath. I'm going to reset when I'm ready. I'm going to throw it as hard as I fucking can. And you can't do that with the pitch clock anymore. It's like the, the human arm will get tired throwing at max effort every 15 seconds over and over and over again for a hundred pitches. And so you're absolutely right. I think that's one of the ways that like people aren't talking about it as much. Some people have definitely raised it, but I think it's like that is going to have a huge impact on making these games more fun because like we were talking about before Rob, uh, you know, a few weeks ago during the world baseball classic, the World Baseball Classic games were really fun because there were not that many strikeouts because the pitchers weren't that good. It's like there were not as many MLB pitchers who participated in the World Baseball and Classic. And the MLB pitchers were under strict pitch limits. So, like, exactly. wave to that guy as he goes by uh, because, like, he's going to get a few at-bats and then it'll be on to whoever's behind him. Right. So you have, like, a, a random plumber playing for... <laughs> 
the Czech Republic throwing to like Mike Trout or something and you end up having, you know, the fielders get a lot more involved. It's like there's in some a, ways it's a preview of like play. what they are trying to extract through the rules, even if taken into a more extreme end is just right. offense. at the end of the day. People want to watch more offense. It's more exciting. It makes a more balanced game. We see this in, you know, we talk a lot about the NFL here on on the podcast. And like that is where that league has also trended over the last 10 years is with a lot of its rule changes that sometimes are under the guise of player safety. And Mm -hmm. there are sometimes that is true. It is actually trying to legislate out hits that are uh, can be are not considered dirty or or extremely dangerous. And maybe stats point that direction. But sometimes laundered into that or right alongside it is just, man, people like it when they throw the ball real deep and catch it. And like, how do we stack the rules in favor of more of that happening? People don't want to watch a 10 to 13 defensive grind. They want to watch a 30 to 32, like a game in which every single uh, pass could go for a touchdown. And it seems like baseball, you know, as the, of any of the modern sports like that are kicking around, especially in a sort of like US centric viewpoint that we have here, like is the one that seems to be being left behind the most in terms of generational shifts between audiences. And so absent changes like this, who knows how much it converts people, but it probably at least addresses some of the attrition. And especially as soccer becomes more popular, basketballs and baseball, you know, football are more popular than ever. Um, it needs to do something to try and address the, like, at some point, baseball is the old-timey sport. You know, those people are going to die off. Like, what, is, what does baseball <laughs> as a sport do as part of a generational transition? Right. Rob, you you mentioned something earlier that I just want to point out as well, where it's like we were becoming this three true outcomes thing, which means strikeout, walk, or home run. And some of the other rule changes have been designed to address that as well, like the bigger bases and you can't step off as often. Um, this has already like anecdotally, like the Orioles stole like 12 bases in like the first two games. Like it was super fun to watch. Um, they have these two players, Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo, who are just so fast. Like they have, I think, six steals each through four games. Um but steals were like a lost art. Like no one was stealing anymore. And the reason people weren't stealing anymore was because it was so damn hard to get on base that the risk of getting thrown out meant people didn't buy anymore. People didn't steal anymore. This strategy that you were talking about that is so, so long associated with baseball was kind of going away because the base runners were so precious that it's like, we can't afford to lose that guy getting thrown out on a steal. And that's no longer the case because one, they've made it easier to steal. And two, in theory, it's going to be easier to get on base, which I think will lead to more exciting games. And the games I've watched so far this year have been more exciting. We're only four games in, but a lot of high scoring games, a lot of stolen bases, a lot of uh, the announcers saying, that would have been an out last year because he hit it directly into the shift, but that the ball getting, you know, through to the outfield. And I think that's a good thing. I think so far the rules, the rule changes seem to be working as far as I can tell. Well, it's, you know, it, it reminds me of baseball's kind of ground zero for the advanced stats revolution. Uh, you know, the, and I think part of it is baseball going back a long, long time has always been one of the sports that you can statistically pin down really, really well compared to others, which have a lot of like 
like every play, play in baseball is so self-contained. Uh, the results are so easy to quantify. The baseball was like really ripe for that kind of uh, broader and deeper quantification of everything that happens in a baseball game. Other sports are following in its wake, but a lot of them are just like harder to quantify in that way. Uh, but, you know, I think there was this period where people were really excited about how uh, how mathy, how quantifiable baseball could be. Like, I mean, this is this is sort of the appeal of Moneyball, right? Which is like, uh, you know, literally a movie about all these dumbass old baseball guys who are like, I know what I'm looking for when I scout a player. And here you've got more of a like Wall Street mindset. Uh, coming in and being like, no, I'm identifying value here. I don't give a shit, uh, you know, how a guy plays. I just want to see what value he brings to the team. And that was really cool and exciting for people. Like there was sort of an ascendancy of like nerdy uh, front office people, like nerdy people becoming the face of the future of the sport. But it does seem like run the clock forward. And you have that concept of like games can be solved. And once a game is solved, it's kind of, Maybe not necessarily dead doesn't mean every game is like sort of deterministic, but it does mean you're not going to see any interesting clash of strategies because everyone is going to play the optimal strategy. And that is that. And it sort of seems in the last few years, baseball just converged on that where it was like defensive shifts made it really easy to narrow the the probabilities for successful hits uh, to just a fraction of what they've been. And then, yeah, like the emphasis on like high value positions like pitchers and operating them differently getting rid of the idea of your starting pitcher being a star this idea that like starting pitcher it's like oh you're you're working on a no hitter that's cute get out of the game uh because yeah, you're you, tired you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly and so it, i think the the other it feels like the, the broader trend that baseball needs to undertake and maybe this is the start of it is like you're introducing more vagaries that are going to be at least theoretically harder to uh, stats your way around, right? Where it's like, if the pitchers are on a clock, if you're not allowed as many of them, if the if the substitutions are being made in what are like uh, higher leverage situations, maybe it's less deterministic than it's been in the last few years, and maybe teams will start screw like looking for other ways to play and other things to value uh, as they build their team. Hey, broader I question about this though: Isn't sort of the thing with like? Baseball owners don't even fucking like baseball. Like when I look like and people who buy NFL teams tend to they might be assholes, rich assholes, but they don't seem they seem to like the sport are invested in the sport. I find weird about like these changes seemingly being in favor of the game, possibly being better, like more appealing. But is like also part of like baseball's whole problem that like the owners are just squeeze like just squeezing them to such a degree. They're not even fans of the sport that they technically own. It's just an asset. I mean, depends entirely on the owner. That's I've been uh, the Angelos family has owned the Baltimore Orioles for a very long time. And Peter Angelos was this asbestos personal injury lawyer in Baltimore where. Oh, he hell yeah. Yeah. He made a shitload. Of, he's actually like in his professional life, a really good person in that he like was he's heavily pro union. He's like represented lots of unions over the years he sort of like fought against people like bad landlords for a long time and yet if you say 
Peter Angelos's name in Baltimore is like, fuck that guy. Like he ran the <laughs> Orioles into the ground. His son, John Angelos, even worse, just like, you know, doesn't care about the team, doesn't care about baseball, doesn't want to spend on the team, only cares about making money, so on and so forth. And it's like, I know you have that in all sports where it's like our owner sucks. Um, I hate him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't invest in the team. He meddles. You have this across all sports, but I do feel like in baseball, it's more of a money-making operation. I think because there's not a salary cap. Well, there's no salary floor either. Right. And so like, I don't, I can't name the teams off the top of my head, but I know that there are fans of certain teams where it just feels as though like they don't have to spend anything. They get enough from the broadcast rights, enough of generational fans show up to the stadium. They don't have to field a good team. And for all the problems that exist in the NFL, of which there are many, and we talk about them constantly, they have structured it towards mediocrity to the degree where even we root for, Rob and I root for a bad team, but we actually root for is like a mediocre team because it's it's actually hard to win only three games the way the Bears did, they actually needed a lot of help to get there. And there was a lot of luck involved in doing that because, and this season was a big deal because the Bears had to spend, I think it was something like $130 million at a minimum because there is a salary floor agreed to that they, and so it's like, look, at a certain point, you're just going to pay enough okay players that you're going to win some games. And that seems broadly absent from baseball, which makes the cynicism, I think, which exists amongst all sorts of sports fans, but even more well-earned amongst baseball fans. Yeah, you have this like inequality between teams and markets. um, That is, it's really funny to hear because we live in such an unequal society where income inequality is maybe one of the biggest problems that we have. And yet you have like these billionaires being like, well, I couldn't possibly afford to, you know, put a good team on the field. And so you have teams like the Orioles who spent, I think, $30 million last year on their payroll. What? Competing in the same league as the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, uh, same broader league that Mets and uh, Dodgers are in the National League, the Orioles in the American League. But they're spending $250, $300 million a year. The Orioles are spending, what spent $30 million last year. There are players, single players who make more than the entire team. And it's like the this Orioles exactly are spending like sixty about. million this year, and it's like, oh, we are barely able wouldn't to that, make our ends meet. And it's like these people the are billionaires too, because it's like we know, like because that means that when we send our stars to tour through Oriole through through Baltimore, you're going to get a lot of people showing up to that game so they can watch actual good players. Like you know, the the Angels are coming through, and like people are going to come out and they're going to see like. Otani and Trout like play. That's what they're going to come see. But it's like the Angels are spending that money to have those players. And meanwhile, the Orioles are like, you know, come watch, come watch our uh, bad news bear bears level <laughs> team uh, play against an actual like group of stars. And like I, I could see that being a weird team owner dynamic. If there's kind of a sensation of like you're kind of free riding on the strength of the game as a whole, but also the strength of other people's rosters that they are, that we are forced to bring through town. Well, there's also enhanced like revenue sharing between teams as well. And so there's some big pool of money that, you know, the profits from the Yankees and the Dodgers, et cetera, like go to the Orioles, even if they don't spend shit, they are making money that, you know, if they are unable to run 
profitable team, which they are, they make a ton of money because of what you mentioned, Patrick, the sort of like TV rights and just the ancillary income of people coming to the game to even to watch a shitty team. It's like, they're also then getting paid by the Yankees, the angels, these teams that make a ton of money from a bigger profit revenue sharing pool that comes from sort of the, the profits across the entire industry. But all that said, even if, a lot of these teams that don't spend a lot of money are able to put together really good teams because they've taken advantage in this money ball type way of the sort of inequality that of like baseball players have teams have rights to baseball players their first six years uh, regardless. And so the Orioles right now are spending almost nothing, but they're expected to maybe be a playoff team because, or at least in the hunt because they have, you know, first, second, third draft picks for years and years of tanking. And they're paying those players like the MLB minimum, uh, even though they're really good. And then the second that they hit free agency, they're going to go sign, you know, two, three, four hundred million dollar contracts with the Dodgers, the Mets, the Cubs, teams that are willing to spend. And the Orioles will have, you know, a new crop of young players that they have drafted and developed and it's well, one in of some those ways, things isn't that where the like, ideal <laughs> because um i forget the, the the quote this quote actually is attributed to jerry reinsdorf uh Rein, reinsdorf what is that uh rob the the bulls uh white Sox. reinsfeld reinsdorf no. who's reinsdorf yeah um this is a bit apocryphal but it is it is well within there's been lots of complaints about uh, about uh the bulls and white Sox owner being notoriously cheap over the years and there is a, a quote that went around um, then I'm going to further mangle, but essentially it's like, you don't actually want to win. You want to be in the hunt. And there's a way of looking at exactly what you're talking about, which is that, well, can we mass maximize statistical analysis and an analytics of baseball to make a lot of money from the fans, pay the players very little, and just constantly have this perpetual question of hope on every season. Like there'll never be a year that we push in and like take on actual risk and maybe hand out a bad contract and, like push for the World Series in way the way that most sports teams talk about like windows, right? Like, hey, we're hedging a bunch of risk that we're going to pay for in the years after. But maybe, maybe we win a World Series or a Stanley Cup or a Super Bowl. And here it sounds like there's a potential scenario where it's like, look, the team's, that team's pretty all right this year. Like never going to win it, never going to get over the hump. But like the team gets to spend, like spend no money, make a lot of money. And the fans get to be like, ah, that year was all right. <laughs> This was a major, major problem in baseball, and it, it still is, but uh, the most recent collective bargaining agreement sort of punishes teams for tanking a little bit more and mm. incentivizes going for it, not not in ways that make it, not in ways worth discussing right now. Yeah. But basically, like, the San Diego Padres, for example, like, San Diego is not the biggest market team but over the last couple of years, like they have really gone for it. They trade for Juan Soto, who's one of the best players. They mm-hmm. signed Xander Bogarts, who's a very good player from former former Red Sox. They have Manny Machado. Like they have, they have made these massive, massive signings and these massive trades where they've mortgaged their future, like trading all of these prospects for established stars, which is nominally what you want, right? Like you want teams that are going for it. But when the Padres did that, everyone was like, what are they doing? Why are they trying to win a world series? Like, don't they realize they're getting rid of some of their young assets that 
these young players that might make them kind of good a few years from now. <laughs> and it's like, that's how teams were managed for a long time yeah. where it's like, you want to keep that window really long so that you can field a really like, okay team at a cheap price and not be accused of tanking, but also not ever really go for it. And it over the last couple of years, like this year and last year, we've seen a bit of a change. We've seen, the Cubs are seemingly trying to go for it, which we can talk about. Like they, they've made some big signings. The Mariners really pushing in, trading a lot of prospects, the Padres as well. And for years that didn't happen. There was like the Dodgers and the Yankees were going for it every year. Besides that, you had a bunch of teams that were like, well, maybe if we kind of like, if all our prospects graduated at the same time and we get hot in the postseason, maybe we can win. But you didn't have the teams going from like 85th percentile to like we are pushing all our chips in and if we lose like we lose but we're at least going for it which is it w- i think that's another reason people stop caring because you had all these teams that were like well we're trying to be a 500 team this year we're not trying to do anything <laughs> more than that like <laughs> and you have that for like 10 years in a row it's like people stop caring yeah 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 uh, we're, well, before we, uh, have you depart, I do want to have, uh, some of, uh, our, our listeners, uh, chime in with some questions. You can write into gamingadvice.com with the topic sports, or, uh, if you keep a lookout on Twitter, we usually have a Google form going around that you can submit some, um, Sam from Iowa asked the designated hitter rule. What a bunch of bullshit, right? I think it's bullshit. Um, can you explain what I- it is? If you, if you are not baseball inclined, the, the designated hitter is something that the American league has had for a very long time. Basically there's two leagues in baseball and half of the teams had the pitcher hit and half of the teams had a designated hitter, meaning the pitcher did not hit. And there was a player who didn't play the field. He just, which is wild that there are even different rules. I actually think that's kind of cool, but like it is weird and has always struck me as weird that there are actual, maybe not foundational, but at least interesting wrinkles between the two different, um, you know, sets of teams. Yeah. And then like two years ago, they got rid of pitchers hitting at all. And now there's designated hitter across the entire sport. They do it right as Shohei Otani would have given you a huge advantage for like that guy can be on the mound and also be an elite hitter. And right as we're about to have the most interesting player, like really coming in his own, own in the major leagues, they're like, designated hitter across the and board. hit free agency right like to, to mm-hmm. command a salary and contract unlike uh, we may have potentially have not seen like in ages like i agree i i am only a passing baseball fan but i think if you suck at hitting i'm sorry it also sucked at hitting when i played baseball in third grade you know what i had to do get up there and get beamed by the well, ball and like take my and also i like the idea that if you want like a monster hitter out there if he can't field you're going to have to hide him somewhere and hope it doesn't like break his way. I like the idea of, all right, well, it's the, you know, it's the, it's, we're coming up. It's the eighth inning and we're going to put, uh, this, like this Hulkster out there in center field <laughs> and have the other guys sort of come, like try to cover. Uh, and that's how we're going to, we're going to stash him out there. Pitchers hitting is also the only thing in professional sports that I can think of outside of like a fake punt where someone <laughs> who is really bad at something is made to do it against 
like it at the yes. professional stage because it's like the average pitcher is really really shitty at hitting but you know once every five days for three or four at bats <laughs> like you're gonna watch this pitcher like flail about like an idiot trying to hit the, the ball and then every once in a while they run into one and it makes like the pitcher home run the pitcher double or whatever so much more exciting in the same way that like really like watching a punter throw is always so fun in my opinion and it's like doesn't work out that often but when it does it's special and they they did get rid of that so i'm with you it's i think dh is bullshit uh another question uh anonymous how deep is the podcast into an advanced analytics in baseball as someone who has gotten into them over the last few years mostly to stay competitive in fantasy baseball i can't help but look at a player and only see iso spin rate exit velocity wrc plus etc I guess, Jason, do you play fantasy? Does that influence how you look at the game when you start having analytics brain while watching? So I don't play fantasy anymore. I was thinking about trying to get into out of the park baseball, which is a a baseball sim that is legendary. I can Um, forge you a code, Jason. Then you can chime in and let us know because neither of us are going to (laughs) play. Yeah, I'll I'll take it. I have like the Um, last eight editions of out of the park and I'm always like, open it. Whoop. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like a million. Do you want to play a game that's only spreadsheets? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, we, boy, do we have a game for you. Uh, I don't pay that close attention to advanced statistics outside of the fact that I'm an obsessive Orioles fan, meaning I read all the forums. Like there's this website called Orioles Hangout that I go to every day and have been to every day for like 20 years. That and rules. it's run by a complete lunatic. Like... <laughs> He after uh, after Baltimore had to cancel one of its games after the Freddie Gray protests um, because of a police killing. And like the Orioles did something where they're like, we stand in solidarity with the people of Baltimore, blah, blah, blah. He like shut. I think that I think it was this or some other terrible tragedy like this where the Orioles did like a very basic like we're going to wear a band on our Mm -hmm. jersey he shut down the website (laughs) because he was like I don't want politics in my baseball he shut down the website for like a week or something and then like brought it back on so it's it's a like lunatic forum where there's a million rules if anyone who like upsets the uh the I know, I, and now banned. I gotta know how much are you just a lurker there and how much oh, I don't you, post like, you know I was banned I was banned posting like in high <laughs> of school of in high were. school yes. for like some you never just gotten thing. an alt account is it that much harder to Dude, get a new I tried one? to log into my old account like a year ago and it's like you're still banned I've, <laughs> I've been banned since like 2003 or something but are, does it have the like the classic foreign politics there's people that he likes and just can say whatever shit they want mm-hmm. and like Everyone Dude, else there's just- no politics allowed on this forum, like unless you want to like slyly infer that like the liberal media is unfair and biased. Mm-hmm. In which case, of it's course. completely fine. Um, yep. That's not a political statement. What, ha- what happens when there are union disputes? Like, like they, they like the miners just signed that new contract, it's right? Which so I know funny. is it's it's so funny because they try to separate. It's like. The stick to sports taken to its extreme (laughs) where there'll be like massive, massive issues in baseball, like work stoppages and things like that. And it's like you can't say that the owners are greedy and you can't say that the players are 
greedy. You can only discuss like the facts of, of what is occurring. It's, it's mm-hmm. very bizarre. Um, and it's, it weirdly sort of works because it, it's one of those sites where there's like a hundred posters who have been there forever and they just talk to each other. And I just read, I haven't made a post since high school. I don't even log. I don't, I can't log in. I could make an alt, but I haven't bothered to, I don't want to have an account. I just read it. Um, it's not that like, there's not that many posts, so it's not that hard to keep up with. In any case, the lo- that's a very, very long answer to, I pay attention to the advanced statistics of like Orioles and their prospects to be like, oh yeah, can't believe we signed this idiot with like a terrible <laughs> isolated power rating, you know, or whose stuff plus is under the median for the average, um, you know, Ooh, major league really I'm just hearing yeah. we need to get Jason. Jason, do you have something that can play MLB the show? We got to, we got to get Jason. I have PS five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're going to, let's, uh, let's friend up. Let's play some games. Yeah. I got to practice. I'm I got down. fucking rinsed by Patrick. Patrick fucking <laughs> Klepek rinsed me on, on stream playing his, oh yeah. Let me tell you this, some, this bullshit. The Cubs okay? versus Cubs game. Fuck this. I love it. <laughs> okay. So we're you playing the by different rules and this isn't Patrick's fault. Uh, like the game defaults to like, here's your standard, like starter mode. P- batting is really hard. We're just going to have you like try to click the, the swing button when the timing feels right. I'm playing the like mode where I'm going to try to learn how to hit uh, as I play this game. And I'm like in other versions of the show, I've gotten decent at this. I'm struggling mightily with this one. Um, I, maybe it's just I'm rusty, but so first inning I start pitching <laughs> And Patrick is just like, see ball, hit button, ball in play. And two things happen. One is that I spend a lot of time batting and I spend a lot of time pitching. I don't do much fielding. And also Patrick (laughs) kept hitting into seams. And so it was things where it was like, you'd have two guys converging on the ball and it auto defaulted to me controlling, like in one case, who I thought was the wrong one. Like it had me running in as the center fielder to make the play and the left fielder had it. So I backed off the AI guy backed off probably because the human player has priority and it's just like plunk double like just so first inning this is happening and this is just like every single pitch like Patrick's just like tattooing it uh, for like doubles and my pitcher goes on tilt like confidence starts to go down like the worst (laughs) things are happening the worse your pitcher gets. So it just turned into carnage. Like, what was it? Five innings in the first, for five runs in the first inning? No, I yeah, five or six. Um, you finished with seven, but I think you picked up a couple more. As I might have. On. Yes, yeah, two home runs there in the in that inning. Yeah. It was um, just it was and beautiful. I, that, I never got it. Like, I go, I have normal at bats. I'm having trouble putting it in play. But even when I went to the timing mode, I was still like, I was getting more hits, and they were going straight. In the <laughs> yeah. And this is the perennial problem with uh, with baseball video games, I think, is the control one where it's like, oh, I'm controlling the wrong player here. Like, yeah. I, I want the center fielder to catch this ball, but it gave me the left fielder and the AI can't run as fast for some reason. I haven't played in a few years, but that that was always my problem. And I would get so frustrated. It just, it just feels like you have to be really quick at reading. Like, who are you controlling? Uh, you can hit L2 to like switch players, but you have to be really quick to identify like, where am I in this play? 
am I the right player in this play? And then when am I going to do the minute I catch the ball? And like, I just didn't have the rhythm for that. Uh, to be fair, like Patrick didn't either, but I wasn't putting enough balls in play that really came up uh, that much. So it was, it was just absolute carnage, but it was one of those things where it was like that first inning was such a disaster and things like got tighter after that. Rob's, con- Rob's confidence. <laughs> oh, just, well, and then, and then like Patrick has a whimsy to him when mm-hmm. things are going well. And I'm like starting to be like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going down in flames. And so Patrick goes into, I need to bring even more energy to the stream. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is not the energy I need you to bring to this fucking game, Patrick. And Patrick starts singing like Cubs fight songs because I'm just getting <laughs> oh like massacred here. And I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, let's just get... It was brutal. Uh, but I do think like there's three-player co-op. I think we could all be out there like playing some ball together. I'm down. Uh, I'm down. And you can help us understand franchise mode. Because we got in there and the sheer number of decisions that you have to make in franchise mode. Are you supposed uh, to fire like your first base coach because your players keep getting their arms fractured? That's what we decided. We just got his ass out of there. Like, yeah, dude, he's not uh, handing those players the running glove with the long, you know, the long Mm -hmm. uh, they have special gloves for sliding now, and that first base coach probably wasn't giving your players the protective gloves. Yeah, we just had to get so, his ass out of there. Thank yeah, you, David Ross. You too. Like, just you Bye. might be a real nice guy, but you're not. You're not. Bye. For not us. enough vibes aren't enough on this team. Which maybe yeah. brings us to to our last question before we let you go. Uh, we've managed to incredible self restraint, also because we barely understand the rosters of these teams. Uh, although I uh, know a little bit more than than Rob does uh, on this front. Do you have any sense? Of the 2023 20, Chicago Cubs, what is, what is anything at all to tell us about what you think they may or may not be or do this season? Yeah, the Cubs were bad for a few years after winning the World Series. They sort of like went all in. They won the World Series. Then they went to should have had a mini little mode. possibility, a little dynasty there. And just you could, completely you could even tell that World Series roster. It was teetering like it didn't. It never produced enough offensively. It never, never came close to producing enough offensively. Yeah. Uh, And so then like many other baseball teams, they sort of were like, well, we're giving up for the next three, four years and we're kind of tanking. And then this year, it looks like they're trying to get back to respectability. And I think I don't like the ML, uh, the NL Central that much. Like, I think the Brewers are overrated. They have very good pitching, but Ooh, I, it's, it's hailing like, right what? now. Sorry, didn't just I heard a lot of loud noises and was wondering what that was. (laughs) (laughs) It's giant things of hail. Continue. Sorry. It's like, (laughs) all good. Um, I think that like one injury to the Brewers and I think the Cardinals are overrated. And it's like, I can see the Cubs sneaking into the playoffs this year. It's like they signed Dansby Swanson, who's a really, really good shortstop. Yep. Very exciting player. I think that, uh, I think Northsiders are really going to like him for years to come. Uh, Cody Bellinger, you like won a an NL MVP like three or four years ago. I think they're betting injury. like a one year deal on him that like it's a bounce back and you'll get you'll get a big contract somewhere else. It won't be here, but you can have your bounce back year here. He's been so, bouncing bouncing back for like three years now. Yeah, but if, yeah, if this is the year he bounces back, <laughs> someone can fix him. The other, yeah, um, yeah. you know, like one of the like fan favorites last year was say Suzuki. Um, uh, who had a really good like first third of the season before pitchers seemed to figure out how to throw to him, and then he had a pretty rough uh, go of at the end. He got 
He had a, what they were calling an oblique injury in uh, spring training, but it's supposed to be back in the next couple of weeks. But he was like one of the promising like young young players that hopefully is a little bit better this year. Yeah. So I I think it's like they're clearly the third best team in the division. They're they're way better than the Reds and the Pirates. I think that they are underrated by a lot of pl- people, and I think that not a lot has to go right. It's like if Bellinger is at all what he used to be, uh, which is a huge if because he's been kind of bad for a while. Um, And if you get some pitching, I think that, you know, you're going to be in the hunt. Oh, the other big one is Trey Mancini is like, he's not a great player, but he played for the Orioles for a long time. And he's an inspirational story. He had uh, colon cancer two years ago and missed the entire 2020 season. Uh, And it was, it was like stage four, stage three, like really bad. Um, He came back. And played pretty well for the Orioles, got traded to the Astros and won World Series last year. And uh, he's someone to root for, if nothing else. Um, he's a good good guy from all I can tell, all the articles I've read. Inspirational story there. Hey, so sometimes when I, th- team I think goes, he'll be good. If, if the team goes poorly, that's what you start grasping onto. Look at this inspirational <laughs> story that can make me feel good when I've got this yeah. on in the afternoon. Um well, we're going to head towards a break. Let you go, Jason, and go do uh, more important things than uh, shoot the shit about this. But we appreciate having you on. Is there anything happening over at Motherboard that you want to point people towards? Stories, streams, podcasts? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, you should definitely check out our AI coverage. I mean, Chloe Zhang is our AI reporter and is just sort of doing an incredible job of explaining what's going on with ChatGPT, what silicon valley is up to with this stuff and i think that people are starting to get sick of ai this ai that but it really is changing very fast and it's one of those things that it's I think not the is, new crypto i think a lot of people looked at this as like gee it seems like a lot of the people that were very into crypto are now very into ai is this just like some bullshit that i can ignore and it, it seems to suggest or at least you're suggesting that is not the case i don't think you can ignore it it's i was gonna say it's something that i think is both way overhyped but also underhyped in that it's like it is going to change many things i do not think that we're going to die from an ai apocalypse anytime soon at the same time it's like the projects that are happening are having real world implications whereas like crypto was something that was like just full of profiteering and losers Um, whereas ai is full of that too but then there's also like real scientists doing like really bad shit things with AI. And I think that Chloe's really good at cutting through the nonsense with this and sort of both pouring cold water on the hype, but also being like, Hey, this is like the stuff that you should actually pay attention to. So I would check out her coverage. Really good. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us and we'll have to, as the season goes on, we'll have to have you back on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is my first ever sports pod. Hell yeah. Oh, hey, once you got, you know, your last, it's a long baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're back. All right. So, Rob, I asked a 
certain question at the top about the Cubs because we were doing baseball stuff. But uh, are the okay the Bulls? Okay, I have a question. What the fuck, yeah. man? Yeah. What? What about what about them? They're what frisky. Was that, what was that? Was it Grizzly? The Grizzlies was that the comeback game, largest yeah, comeback of the year? Yeah, they were down. They were down like twenty some points. I turned that game and off, and they weren't looking good in that first half. And they started to like they put the clamps on them in the third quarter, and then they just got the Grizzlies to melt down. It was incredible. Like there was there was a run of I want to say like four Grizzlies possessions that ended in embarrassing turnovers, like. Bulls just ripping passes out of the air, uh, tipping them and then like getting them in play and pass. Like it was, it was mortifying. Uh, the Grizzlies could not like hold on to the ball. And every time they took it uh, down into their offensive end, immediately the Bulls would get a breakaway and they folded. They like at the end of that run, I think they pulled their starters. It was, it was done at that point. Like, the Bulls had already sort of been like getting control of that game but after that, it was like uh, NBA Jam, like the defensive version of NBA Jam, where like, you know, all the bulls just fire pouring off them and the Grizzlies just collapsed. It was beautiful. As it stands, uh, according to NBC Sports Chicago, uh, from an article, I was trying to figure out where do, where do things stand with the bulls in, uh, in terms of uh, the postseason. So the NBA adopted a couple of years ago something called the play-in tournament, which is kind of the equivalent to a wild card um, did that start with the bubble year or was that before the bubble? I remember year? the bubble year. They tweaked a bunch of things to basically make some interesting teams more viable. Well, be, that, well uh, to, to their, to their credit, like the season didn't get to finish. Right? right. And so the notion was, do you just accept the standings as they were when the season shut down in mid March or do you come up with an alternative? So maybe the plan I, I can, Look this up, uh, possibly, but regardless, the plane is relatively recent in the history of the NBA. Prior to that, it is somewhat controversial. And there were not wildcard spots. It was it was either in or you're out. And the reason I think defensively people don't like, uh, you know, one game plans is because it, it it can benefit statistical outliers or off games. And part of the reason that people like basketball, baseball, especially is the notion that. Like you have to prove that you are good over long stretches of time as opposed to having fluke performances uh, allow you to, you know, advance. But I think what's smart about it is that, you know, if if you start from the assumption that first of all, at the end of a regular season, your seventh and eighth seeds, uh, your seventh and eighth place teams are probably not very viable teams regardless. Yeah. Uh, But two there, you know, you do have the odds there of like, if the difference between, like seven, eight, nine, and ten can be pretty marginal. Maybe you're going to get a more interesting playoffs if, like, you have those guys go into the Thunderdome and see who emerges. Uh, because I do think, like, th- like I think the Bulls are a really good example of this right now. The Bulls were having a lost season. They were in really bad shape a few weeks, like, uh, you know, a month or so ago. Basically, when I started watching them, they were like close to being out of it entirely. There was tank talk. There was, is this a moment where they had they, just decided not to and up and down, like people were saying they had fucked up their trade trade deadline. Decisions. Well, they did nothing. They did absolutely yeah. nothing at the trade deadline to either perhaps irresponsibly gone all in and tried to acquire 
um, uh, talent that would have bolstered uh, the team, especially defensively, um, especially from a three-point shooting standpoint. They are a terrible three-point shooting team um, over the course of this season. Um, and just the construction of the roster just, just does not allow them to really sink that many of those. Um, and they did nothing. And that also meant they didn't trade away their most valuable assets. You have uh, Vucevic is coming up uh, as a free agent. He is most likely going to be a re-sign, but he is most valuable as a chip to get yes. assets when he is about to become a free agent. DeMar DeRozan, similar situation where yes. it's like player has value now, but is aging. Yes. Uh, instead, they, but they did bring in, they did make some moves. Uh, they brought boy. in Patrick Beverly. I mean, I, look, at this point, uh, so Patrick Beverly is an interesting player. You know, he's a, a veteran presence. He was, um, what's that? What do they call it? Like when that, that period when they acquired him and they also were, the Bulls were also rumored to be getting, uh, Russell Westbrook. Um, they're not undrafted free agents, but it's like, it's not free. Uh, there's like a specific phrasing that I'm not remembering. Mm. Uh, anyway, sort of regardless, like they, the, the, the Bulls acquired Patrick Beverly, who is from Chicago, uh, I believe. And so it was kind of like a hometown reunion. He really wanted to come play for the Bulls. And, you know, I don't know where the stats fall on his contributions, but he is a like he is a large presence. He is a large personality. He's a huge personality. And this is so this is the thing. Like I got into the Bulls like at the kind of the perfect time because they were just starting to get a load of the Patrick Beverly experience. And I had I had really warmed up to him uh, in the last few years because he is. Yeah, he's a tryhard player. Uh, he's a little bit edgy, but he is one of those guys where it's like. The dude shows up, right? The, he, like he's a bit, he's like a less talented Jimmy Butler in some ways, uh, where it is like a similar sort of grit and grind uh, style of player, but like with just less, with fewer gifts. But what he makes up for is he is one of those like locker room guys who also is going to sort of has the ability to call guys out and like kind of tutor other players in what they should be doing and how they should be approaching the game. And he got that team. Like it felt to me like you could see him and Alex Caruso uh, almost boot camping that team. Once Beverly was there, you had him calling people out for bad defense, like taking people aside in the middle of the game and being like, here's how you fucked that last possession up. It was and, like a, a coach-like atmosphere. I mean, like this article from from CBS when the the Bulls uh, signed him. Um, uh, the the front office is hopeful that Beverly can bring some toughness to the team as they try to get back in the playoff picture. Now, thirty four years old, Beverly is no longer an all defensive caliber player, but he works hard and is still capable of pestering opposing guards. His abilities on that side of the ball should help strengthen a Bulls team that has surprisingly been one of the best defenses in the league. Exiting the All-Star break, the Bulls are seventh in the league with 112 defensive rating. But even if Beverly can give the Bulls a spark with his energy, it's hard to imagine that'll make enough difference on a team that's spiraling out of control. They lost their last six games prior to the All-Star break and are now in 11th place in the Eastern Conference at 26 and 33, which puts them two games behind the 10th place Toronto Raptors. And that is was on February 20th uh, around yeah. the, the trade deadline. And, and then the thought- look up their record since, uh, since the All-Star break. They are thirty-eight and forty. Um, well, no, that's their that's their season record. Oh, um, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, yeah, th- I'm trying well, to they- figure out where I can pull that, but uh, 
yeah, it like it really marked a sea change for how that team was playing. And so I think you do like And they've so had personality going, clashes. DeRozan and Levine have not been on the same page in terms of how much you you know, on the bar of style and personality and use by coaching, I don't know. I you know, like I'm not in those locker rooms. All you can say is that boy, it seems like you have two players who are just competing to be sort of like the alpha of the team as opposed to playing off of one. And that is really eased up. Like, and this is the way, like, I would say that in a weird way, uh, that may have been settled in Levine's player in, in his favor. Uh, certainly watching it in these past few weeks, I have seen Levine just become the, like, he is the, I'm going to go get a bucket guy. He is the, like, if he touches the ball and the defense is not rock solid, he is going to just like try to charge through it. And also he has a great um, he has a great like pull up and uh, he's got like a great pull up and fade away like two point shot so that if he's like getting if he's getting like blocked off from from reaching the basket, he will just like disengage from the defense and fall away from them and take a two. And more often than that, not that shot is good, too. And so he's become that guy where it's like, you know, if. If there's any sort of defensive weakness, he will go exploit it. And DeRozan seems to have fit uh, is is more comfortable letting him play that role. But uh, like going back to the play in tournament, like watching the Bulls, I think they're really, you know, kind of this is where the play in tournament gets a little more interesting, because I do think when you're looking down at that tier of uh, the, the Eastern Conference, the Bulls maybe have a bit more wind at their back than a lot of the teams that are around them. And so to an extent, like, do you at least want to give them the chance to knock off a team that is kind of, you know, a a little closer to like flailing the way the Hawks are right. Or, uh, you know, back when this all unfolded, the Pacers were sort of neck and neck with the Bulls. They could have easily been headed to the play in tournament. Uh, You know, they've, they've sort of, they've since sort of collapsed. Uh, But I think this is where the the tournament gets interesting is that the bulls have gone from being kind of a hopeless team to being a pretty interesting one. And at times quite a good looking one. Uh, A lot of players have made a surprising leap in the past few weeks. Like Kobe white uh, has gone from uh, like he, he's been, I want to say like, even when I checked them out last year, he was sort of emerging as like, that's an interesting player. He is starting to become that guy who, More, you make a better case for him as a starter, but also is just one of those guys we're coming off the bench. Uh, he turns the bench into you can just think an of three. You know, I mean, like that's a lot of like the highlight shots yeah. you're seeing from him, and is him and Patrick Williams are, are two players that if this team was going to do anything this year, especially with Lonzo Ball, yeah. essentially probably not having a career in basketball yeah. anymore. Like even if you're being barring miraculous surgery at this yeah. point, you're hoping he has a comfortable life as opposed yeah. to returning to the basketball court. Um, right. Cause he's, yeah, he sounds like he has like a really horrible degenerative, uh, like situation. He is about, he underwent a surgery, I believe related to cartilage that, yeah. uh, only one player has returned to playing afterwards. And I don't even think it was in, the NBA and also the bulls. There was a report that they are no longer even privy to his private medical status. It's just occasionally his team lets them in. And it's like, all those are it's, there is sort of like, there's like an injury emergency lever that the, the team can pull with the league based on like, there's stuff they can do where it's not, the contract will not be an albatross uh, next season. But anyway, you needed these other players to fill in this enormous gap that has existed on the team since, 
Lonzo went out with an injury more than a year ago. And these players, while I don't think this is sort of a, a team that is going to make it to the finals, like they are at least in the scenario, you know, Dr. Strange waving his hands around and the, all the scenarios that can happen. Well, winning two games in the first round, I don't think is out of the realm of possibility in a way that I would have completely dismissed it before. I think it depends on the team. I think they pull the Bucks or the Celtics, then I think you're going to be, well, maybe the Celtics. The Celtics, you might have an easier the time. Celtics, the Celtics are like the team you could easily see just like dropping it against the Bull. Uh, like, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they're a different team uh, mentally than they were last year. Like I was gutted to watch them unravel against the Warriors. Like it was so clear, like on their day, they were so clearly a better team. Like just yeah. massively outgunned the Warriors. And then they just wouldn't show up. Uh, some nights, but so like the balls have become a really interesting team. I've really had a lot of fun watching that part of it is just, I love watching NBC sports, Chicago. I love that broadcast. And but we had that whole conversation. Text. Someone yeah. asked about do commentators make a difference in watching something or how does it influence that? And I pointed out, I had not put a name to it at the time, but since then, obviously, <laughs> Rob, you have Stacey King, like one of the two NBC Sports Chicago announcers that announces every every Bulls game that you're watching from the local broadcast is just an absolute character, a delight. And as someone that even when I've watched the team play poorly, I still just, it's not even about an analysis. They're just entertaining. Like they can be a very, very insightful and, and help me understand the game, but they're just fun to listen to. Yeah watching a team I love, even if they're doing that part poorly. And you've like entered into that space when even if they're not always playing well, frequently they're playing at least like middling or frustratingly, but you have an entertaining product in front of you. And sometimes that is, that is enough. Yeah. And like, it's, and also like, it's just such a, it's such a weird energy compared to a lot of the national broadcasts mm-hmm. in, in, in some ways. It's a little bit more like if uh, inside the NBA, we're called NBA, we're calling the game. Uh, rather than just doing the the desk, but yeah, it's so it's been it's been fun getting into them. It's been fun watching them like go on this little run and sort of like I would say to me, it's felt like in a lot of cases I've been watching playoff basketball now for a few weeks, <laughs> and that's a cool place to be, right? Because the like, stakes some are high. Are every every game means they could be in or out of it. Um, like they're they're uh, have been on a knife's edge for the better part of six to eight weeks. Right. And I, and I think it's, it, it makes her interesting, like against. But here's the weird thing. They demolished both the Nuggets and the Grizzlies uh, in their encounters with them. Like this has been the wrap on this year's Bulls. I guess last year's the issue was they they compiled a really good record, but mostly like by beating up on trash teams. Yes. And then everyone sort of knew that the minute the field narrowed as it does in the playoffs to pretty good teams, the Bulls were going to be in trouble uh, as it happened. You know, the Bucks. it was just a brick wall that was not that was never going to go any other way. Uh, this year, the Bulls have actually been better against good teams, and the rap on them is they just kind of like don't show up or don't get it in the gear against your more marginal teams, where like they just either they haven't scouted or they're just so astonished to find themselves in a shootout against a bad team that they they get back footed. I've seen it happen, uh, but like both the Grizzlies and the Nuggets, the Bulls like shut them down so effectively that in both cases those games were over you know, early in the fourth where you had the team, you had both those teams just shut everyone down because they, yeah. And those are teams that are like, okay, we're playing like we're in the playoffs. 
now it is there's no point in keeping guys in this fight against the Bulls. Uh, so we're just gonna we're just gonna give up. Uh, but like against you know in some of these teams, some of these games against like teams that are a little more marginal, it does just go all the way to the end. Uh, like their you know their their series against the Sixers was fascinating because like the Sixers have stuff to play for. It is they are fighting for a better seed. And so the, the the Sixers like were were not they were not going to give up those games easily, uh, and so those turned into to real the, the first one turned to real bruising games. The second the second one I think was good for the Bulls to get blown out that way mm-hmm. because I think like the you know I think in this run it's good to have your reality check too of if you are going to have any kind of like fun little postseason if getting through the plan is going to be meaningful at all. Here's what you need to prepare for. It's Joel, like, uh, you know, Joel Embiid is going to decide I'm going to fuck these guys up tonight. Yeah. And you need to be prepared to meet that. Like, you need to answer that bell. And we'll see uh, when uh, the, we could actually have an answer on the play-in tournament. By the time you uh, listen to this podcast, the uh, according to this NBC Sports Chicago article, they are they have to win one game uh, ahead of the remaining games on their schedule against the Hawks, the Bucks. The Mavericks or the Pistons. Um, that's the order in which they play yeah. these teams. Um, they play the Hawks tonight as we record this. And crucially, Trey Young, their star player, is out with a non-COVID-related illness. And so that becomes the Hawks have not exactly, you know, lit the world on fire uh this year, but they are a like young and spunky team that uh can play well. And so the Bulls have an opportunity to uh I don't think they can graduate outside of the play in tournament i don't know if that's no no because they would have to get they would have to unseat the nets and that there's just not enough games left uh to like i think it's a situation where like even if the nets imploded with their remaining games i think probably what's gonna yeah i think probably what actually is happening from here is like if they can win tonight then what you do for the remaining games is like do we want to win? Like it's a seeding battle. It's like who do we want to play? Is it worth playing tonight? Because that alters who we who we play in the tournament. You know, uh, that that may be where they're at with the final games uh, of the season. But um, well, and if, and if they can claw their so if they can claw their way forward into eighth place, uh, that which is which is doable. I think uh, looking at the the standings right now, they are in a win and in situation. Right, the the first game of the play in tournament between the uh, two teams who sort of have the rightful place uh, mm-hmm. in the playoffs, the seventh place teams. Uh, the winner of that just goes straight in to the playoffs at the number seven seed. So the the Bulls do have something to play for here, which is that, you know, if they sort of claw their way forward uh, into into eighth place, which is doable. If they can get one game off the heat, which they can absolutely do, then they're in the postseason. Yeah, as it stands, they would be playing uh, the Raptors if the playing tournament was to be held tomorrow with the current standings. Um yeah, so we'll see. Uh, I, you know, it makes every game. It's gonna make every game exciting. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that much. And so I am. Uh, if they make it into that, sports will return uh, to to chime in on uh, <laughs> where the bulls where the bulls go from here. Um, we got a couple other questions. Uh, we'll we'll get to here. Uh, this uh, one that was a follow up from uh, from uh, our last podcast uh, where we uh, talked a little bit about college basketball. Uh, hey, Way Sports, I was listening to the most recent sports episode, and as a college basketball enjoyer, uh, I need you both to know that Bob's opinion on NCAA basketball is too controlled by the coaches is completely correct. 
but I will argue that it is part of the sell for many people. In my opinion, you can't watch college basketball the same way you watch the NBA. As Rob and Bob said, the NCAA is incapable of providing the level of star power or, quote, main character athleticism that the NBA can. You'll never have a LeBron in college ball, and the players graduate too soon to really build up any sort of acclaim or talent that stretches farther than their division. If college players don't provide the level of personality or skill you would normally get in the NBA, what does that leave us with? Coaches. Look at the conversation around basketball coaches in college. People love or hate them more than any player, and the success of a team is largely credited to coaching. When my alma mater, Iowa State, had a run of great seasons a few years ago, no one really attributed that to player talent, although we did have a strong team. The conversation was all about how Fred Hoiberg, who was the, that was a Bulls coach, right? That nobody liked, right? Fred Hoiberg. Bulls coach, right? Yes. Yes. Fred was, yes, this, okay. No, actually, Hoiberg was from the Bulls 2015 to 2018. And then he was hired to get Jim Boylan. Do you remember Jim Boylan? That guy was no. a real piece of shit. Uh, that guy sucked. Um, anyway, uh, where was I in? Da, 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 da. The conversation was all about how much Fred Hoiberg had done to build a championship team. A former player for Iowa State returns to coach a struggling program to the promise, promised land. You couldn't write it better if you tried. Although I think, shit. <laughs> Although I think he fared far worse with coaching your Bulls. Sorry. <laughs> Iowa State has a statue of her beloved coach, Johnny Orr, right in front of the building. Another coaching dynasties in sports aren't really unique, but we tend to think about them only when it comes to football. Dynasties in the NBA are about teams and players. I don't think that many conversations about the 90s Bulls center Phil Jackson. Hmm. Uh, dynasties in the NCAA are about coaching, and if you're going to get into college basketball, you have to think about it as a chess match between coaches, which is arguably less fun than the NBA, so I understand Bob's point completely. There's a similar conversation to be had with college football, I think college football is so tied to the NFL at this point that it's a different beast. Happy for my boy, Lazard, go, uh, though, go Cyclones. Thanks, Holden. Um, does that line up for you? Like, it's certainly, like, as an outsider that barely pays attention to college basketball, yeah. it certainly feels like people talk about the coaches more than anything else. Because it's a constant, right? Everything else, it changes so much season to season. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, like it's they sort of build the program. They sort of get guys to fit their system. They don't. Yes. And they don't have access to the kind of transformative talents that it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to turn the I'm going to turn the keys to this team over to these guys. Uh, like there's fewer and fewer guys who fit that bill. Uh, yeah, it all it all makes sense. I think like it's it's like I think for me it is my window to drink that Kool-Aid and get really invested in that culture has kind of closed, right? Like I would have to, like I would need to care a lot more about like Purdue or IU than I, than I could ever see myself doing. Uh, and so as much as like people love all this stuff for me, it is kind of, it, it, it is a little bit like, I don't, I'm not invested in these programs. And th- that's the thing that's missing is, you know, whatever goes on with the NFL, I will have the Bears to fall back on. And that's my point of entry. You know, what's UConn to me? It did seem like the women's basketball stuff was able to establish some main characters, though, right? Like, I think you can. Cannot- well, I, I don't think their talent pipeline has been like completely decimated uh, in the same way. The way- right. Yeah. Like, I think if you still want to see the best women's basketball players, uh, you know, in the world, the ones who were not in the WNBA are in college ball. And so I think that is a, that is just a different, uh, that's a different animal right there, uh, which is that, you know, there the relevance is, is more immediate. The, 
level of play for women's basketball is is higher. Uh, is is kind of my feeling. I don't I don't know that the WNBA pipeline has uh, shifted outside college the way the NBA pipeline has. People uh, can let me know. I'm I'm curious if if that has been reproduced. It was it was interesting. Uh, I, I don't think we have time to get into all the bullshit discourse about uh, <laughs> civility that came out out of the like women's basketball tournament, but like the ratings were huge. Um, do you have any sense? Obviously, this is a little bit out of our depth, but like it did seem like maybe like this was sort of a moment for like women's athletic, women's basketball specifically. I don't know whether it lasts or whether I it was don't a no, whether it was like just you had this historic uh player, you know, on on one team, and then like but you had a lot of characters, you had like emotional investment, even for outsiders. And I, so maybe it was unique to this moment, or is this something that allows like what has historically been a struggle for? women's basketball to like get the popular culture sort of like side by side with men's basketball. I, I don't know, but it's, it was interesting that how much it like, I don't know. I saw people talking about it that don't normally talk about stuff like that. And they had opinions about things that they don't shouldn't have opinions on. But in some ways, once you arrive to that status, you have hit a pop culture moment that like signifies relevancy in a way that uh, is maybe like misplaced, but is nonetheless true. Yeah, I think so. For me, the kind of the things a little bit weird about it is mostly that. To me, it's felt like women's college basketball has been pretty big for a while. So maybe this is just like it, it, to me, maybe there has been a, a, a shift. We had it hit an inflection point, but it feels like to me for a little while, the women's tournament has probably been the more interesting one uh, to follow. It's had a lot of really like dynamic tournaments a lot of like photo finishes type stuff and again like maybe a slightly higher level of play relative to the pro game but yeah it's it's funny like maybe this is just like the inflection point is even people who casually follow this stuff now have sort of gotten the message that the women's tournament is is where it is at uh as much, if not more than the men's tournament uh I do agree there's there's been there's a little more attention to it uh and maybe maybe that is partly because again so much of the men's tournament is this is just me speculating but like again it's a lot of like marginal players who like college ball is it for them you know this is this is the end right. of the road and so they sort of like are, are fit into systems whereas you know maybe maybe in the women's tournament you have more of those like uh big talents in the game who then as we sort of saw also have that little extra bit of swagger that comes with being really fucking good uh, at a game. Knowing that, you know, the team, the system will adapt to you, uh, you know, you know, because of your talent. Uh, I meant to read this earlier. Um, this one uh, came in. Uh, uh, this one uh, from anonymous. Uh, this one's for Rob. If it hasn't been said already, quote, mouse in the house refers to a mismatch. We're in a big Vooch, Embiid, etc., is being defended by a smaller guard in the paint. The guard is the, quote, mouse. The paint is the, quote, house. And the, quote, free cheese is the sweet satisfaction of getting an easy bucket over a smaller man. Stacy King is a madman, but this, this saying does actually map reasonably well to basketball. I haven't listened to the full pod yet, so my apologies if it gets cleared up later on. It did not. But thank you for writing in and clearing it up for for all of us. That is that is that is delightful clarification. <laughs> 
I think what's thrown me is uh, sometimes it feels like the mismatch is not as like sometimes it just feels like he's calling a mouse in the house. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if this is the same degree of mismatch I've seen before, but uh-huh. either way, he does. He does love to call it. But he is I think he is a generation of a player who like. You know, his go to complaint about the Bulls, he's a very good analyst when he puts his, you know, you know, puts his uh, shoulder into it. But. I do sometimes suspect that his bias is a little more for like old school basketball where like his go-to complaint is like, you know, if he sees a guy bat, like just not sort of physically push through, uh, you know, defense on in the paint, he's like, you got to just put your back into that guy and just back him up. And every time somebody passes out of that, he's like, no, you have to, you just have to give him the get off me and you got to go. And it's like, I suspect that was maybe more the ethos of his day uh, when you're in that position and maybe isn't the one of modern basketball. Though there are times where I'm like, Vooch, you need to like turn around and just like be bigger than that man. Like, come on, stop. (sighs) Stop looking for outlet passes to like, let's re-rack this entire possession. Like, go and (laughs) go and beat that man. I mean, there were there was that game against the 76ers, which they ended up winning in overtime. But. I think Embiid was one foul away from getting ejected, you know, or like hitting his, you know, uh, the, the, yeah. the foul count. And it was just like, fucking get in, like somebody get in there and have him follow you. And he was in the game for like seven minutes with like one foul to give. And like, well, hold everyone- on. the refs didn't want to give it. Like that was their thing. It was just so clear. The refs were like, eh, let's <laughs> like when, when, when you're a star and you got that, like when you're out of fouls to give, there is like a, do we really want to call that? And so they did let a lot go by. But there, yes, there was an element of like, however good he is, he is now the vulnerable point of this defense. Right. And you need to just like put your finger into it. And eventually he's going to fall out. And yeah, the Bulls don't always uh, aren't always built that way. No, they're no. A smaller team. But like, I, you know, watching it and hearing, uh, you know, Stace's complaints about him. As small as the lineup could be, they're also a team that sort of plays small, smaller than they are, Uh, which is why, like, it is so striking when Andre Drummond is in, who is like a classic old school athletic big. And you see what he does for that team. And it's like, oh, this is just an element that is plainly missing. Uh, You know, a guy can go up and get those rebounds, but also physically has nothing to fear from the players around him. How do we get Stacey King on the pod? Well, he's got his own podcast. I know it's crossover. Just, like, Stacy, do you want to come on our, our waypoint? Do I have enough Stacy in my life? <laughs> I want to be the mouse in the house, Rob. I want to be the mouse in the house. Um, you can uh, send in uh, questions to uh, future episodes of Sports uh, by uh, writing into gamingadvice.com with the title Sports or filling out the form uh, that comes out over our Twitter feeds uh, right before we record. Um, but I think that is going to do it for this episode. Once again, our thanks to Jason Kebler from Motherboard for coming on and letting us know a little bit more about baseball, making us seem smarter than we are. That's always a delight. Um, in the meantime, you can follow Waypoint on Twitter at Waypoint on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Waypoint on YouTube at youtube.com slash Waypoint Vice and our writing at waypoint.vice.com. Rob and I, as you heard uh, alluded to multiple times over the, the course of this podcast, played a little bit of MLB The Show do a little Cubs on Cubs so that the Cubs could both win and lose no matter what happened. Um, and then tried to manage a team that essentially was just 
how often can we attempt to attempt to trade for a generational two-way player and eventually maybe we'll get him? I don't know. You'll have to watch the stream to see if we could land such a talent. Patrick, uh, if we did not have jobs that we have to do and like we didn't like we like we can't do another motorsports style thing in our no. lives, but like I could see playing cooperative franchise mode being just infinite fun yes in this game like, absolutely the way they do the like put you in clutch high leverage situations all the like building the ship in the bottle the roster and every time one of your guys suffers a mysterious injury that you have to compensate <laughs> for all sort of the rebuilding of the dynamics like oh my god the fun uh but also it is the work of a lifetime this is this is why i'm not a sports game guy it is like every year i get into mlb the show but I don't ever have the time to put into it be, to become like good at it mm-hmm. or like do a multi-season franchise mode because that is a these sports games like this are built to be like your game. This is like yeah. the main game you play and then there's other stuff you play on the side. But like this is it. And that is like night and day from what we do and from what our sort of job is and the way our lives are built. Yeah. Uh, but it seems really well made. I'm sure we'll talk up more about our experiences with it on uh, the main uh, podcast. But uh, this episode is premiering ad-free on Waypoint Plus, which you can subscribe to and gain access to early episodes, exclusive episodes, ad-free episodes, and more at waypointplus.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Lubick. Rob, how about you? Oh, I'll just be hanging out watching the Bulls make this run. <laughs> uh, you can find me on my couch. Uh, just wa- <laughs> just wa- keeping an eye on the house, hoping a little mouse gets in there. And no, don't say that. Don't cheese. say that, Rob. That's I feel like it's a cursed thing to say about your apartment. Oh God, that's true. No mouses in your houses. That's true. I've I've I maybe left too much free cheese out uh, over the last year. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck capitalism and bear down. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.